north to south relationships that we find or that we have observed in in arts education and how that is taught. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on how this network project started. And um, one of the main aspects, as Dineo was saying, was to come from a critically engaged education practice and uh, reflecting from different points of view on the role of schools and the role of education, and specifically in art education, in perpetuating certain um, legitimation of forms of knowledge through professionalized and academic um, education that in the context of, uh, let's say, regions with a colonial history also mean the systematic erasure of other forms of knowledge that had been part of a pre-colonial um, society, let's say. And um, specifically, uh, there has been a need to link not only this like, long-term history, but also see how these currently operating colonialities are related to cultural policies and specifically education policies that still operate through different bodies and reproduce these um, forms of coloniality. Um, so one of them has um, started with a reading of a document that was presented by UNESCO in 2006 that was called a roadmap for art education. And that was later discussed in an international meeting on arts education in South Korea in 2010. And that was basically trying to propose um, a global plan for arts education that was at the same time um, promoting economic growth and creative industries in relation to arts education. And with a large, let's say, capacity building, training, but also cultural and historical guidelines that weren't necessarily addressing or dialoguing with the local political and social histories. So through the reading of this document in 2010, there is a group of colleagues um, that started to share from the position of an embedded critical educational practice the need to look at this text, at this letter, at this document, and to try to think together um, what were counter, um, let's say, hegemonic practices? Can you stop the flipping of the images just so that they don't distract yet? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a mixed signal. You can tell me, I do what you want. So I should stop them from Anyway, so a group of colleagues in 2010 launched an open call for people to organize dinners, uh, print the document, and share together with colleagues possible local responses or just critical readings of this um, UNESCO document. Uh, several dinners were held over a year and a half. Responses were sent back to the open call. This was uh, really not uh, coordinated um, or centralized, but just an, an truly like an open call invitation. The, 
the task was to print the letter, gather with people who would probably um, connect or resonate with the document, this cause, and kind of give feedback to that. And then in 2011, there was a meeting that um, tried to organize these different responses into an action plan. Um, two different meetings in 2012 between Toronto and Vienna, and there was an official launch of an articulation of these responses through what was called the Another Roadmap for Arts Education. So the idea was to create a platform or a let's say, um, an articulation for dialogue and exchange where educators with situated practices could talk about local histories as a way of countering the, let's say, um, Western canon of arts education and arts history. Um, so this is how another roadmap for arts education was born, <laughs> or was slow, not born, because that's like one, but like progressively woven together. Um, and it was also uh, the beginning of a, of a project that was articulated with four main axes. Can you show the next slide? Which was to establish the possibility of an another roadmap school, trying to inhabit the notion of school from a counter or a critical practice, and to try to create um, a program of working together that would allow uh, situated educators, artists, activists, and researchers to share um, the in-progress critical researches on the local histories of education in relation to arts education. So another roadmap school was launched formally in 2015 in Madrid with an idea to um, plot over or to work or test, let's say, over a three-year period, which comes to this year, um, an organization of work in the network members around uh, international meetings, and that was to... Um, so I should say first that there is, okay, no, it's a, it's a third, but, okay, so first there was a web platform that still exists to share and be in touch around each other's projects and processes. Then the need to create spaces for, um, how do you say, presenciales? Um, uh, no. <laughs> for encounters, one-on-one. <laughs> With a very specific idea to discuss methodologies of research and to test out from educational practices and not only to present, let's say, results of academic research, but to try out different tools and devices and forms of working. Um, and then thinking about a kind of like counter school to create an alternative curriculum or a diplomas curriculum through the production of learning units that should be um, educational material or resources available for other educational practitioners and, um, and a multi-vocal glossary which is, I'll talk about it later, but which is less, it's about the kind of like terms and genealogies that came um, from different 
situated researchers, but that connected some of the practices and reflections that were carried around the groups. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so the way another roadmap functions is through periodic meetings that happen because we're scattered. Um, so besides meeting on Skype and a lot of emails, <laughs> we try to meet at least once a year. And the, the different clusters, we have three different clusters. We have popular education um, cluster, which is mostly based in South America. And then we have the intertwining histories cluster, which the name is self kind of self-explanatory. Um, it has members from Europe and Africa, mainly, um, because of the coloniality and the legacies of power that exists between the two spaces. And then we have the Africa cluster, which we have our own problems to deal with. Um, and these meetings happen based on the funding streams that we have. So it could happen that, for example, in the past we've had overlaps where we had two meetings in one. Um, in January in Maseru, where we were hosting both the Intertwining Histories and the Africa cluster. And the format of these meetings is in the form of internal sessions where we discuss amongst ourselves, we share with each other what we plan to do or what we've done, we give feedback, we give um, reflections and the likes, and then we have a public section where it's open to everyone and we might have performances or we might want to show something or invite other people to exhibit some work. And then we have what we call people who dance together, people who think together dance together, where it's like a night of dancing, literally, um, let loose, because thinking can be exhausting. Um, and we made this a very critical part of our programming because and even built on it to some extent, where we're trying to promote caring for one another so that th that sense of community is emphasized. Um, the work itself involves experiments, so we might, because it's a horizontal structure, everyone it has sort of an equal responsibility in what happens. So we come up with plans for programming together and in the case where funding is needed, we all pitch in and make the application together. Um, and then the work is about creating links between ourselves. So if I see a parallel between mine and Sophia's work, we might have a session where we've discussed that. For example, in the past we've had, last year we were in Vienna, and we had a festival of sorts, which had a bunch of workshops within it. And the workshops were facilitated by the different working groups in discussion and also in moderation. Um, we've had, we've discussed topics such as critical literacies, which look at how local languages compete with institutional languages and how these dimensions might create tensions or barriers to learning and unlearning. Um, and how indigenous languages may evolve in, in their own existence, not necessarily to fit the formal framework or the Western set standard of, of what's allowed or what's 
um, proper. Uh, we've looked at proliferations of missionary movements, and on the book we're talking about how religion has also played a role in this colonial thing. <laughs> um, but especially in the case of Africa, where the way uh, missionary intervention is framed is that it was for the good of the people and it wasn't violent because it wasn't political, but there were nuances that came with those interactions that happened because missionaries were given some kind of supremacy or elitist position within the communities that they operated in and they influenced culture and how culture was shaped in those communities and these still exist today or we see them, the remnants of, of, of those interactions to this day. Um, they played a role in the codifications, in many codifications in different places of the education system. And this is the part where decolonizing comes in and unlearning comes in. And what we're trying to do is plot alternatives to the things that we've observed because we realize that we cannot necessarily change policy. Or if we could, it's going to take too long to also influence the culture and how people are set in their ways. The school system is what it is. So how can you supplement, instead of erase what's already there, such that um, critical engagement begins to, to, great, to gain more of a presence within the education system, and particularly the arts system, the arts education system. So um, I'll go back to that meeting in Madrid. Mm -hmm. That was the first sort of like general um, gathering of people who had been through affinities invited to be part of the network. And then at that school session, that was the several days trying to map out like common interests, but also thematic lines that could organize our work, not necessarily depending on the other region, but of like common histories and, and potential researchers that would talk to each other. Um, there were, I should say that the, there are 22 working groups that are not necessarily individual. Sometimes there are like different collectives and people working together. The, as, as Dina said before, the nature of the practice we have is very different. Some people are working within um, academic institutions, are researchers, are as researchers. Other people are running and part of uh, independent spaces that have an, uh, an alternative education practice, uh, libraries. Huh? Oh, in the case of like independent institutions, the research that we've done as part of another roadmap has contributed significantly to the kind of initiatives that we have come up with over the last three years now. Um, in our case in Maseru, we host a literature festival and we've had pieces of, of the research that was shared by other members um, influence how the programming was set and even invited some of them to, to facilitate and be in panels that we that we structured and we created projects from there that are directly linked to discoveries that we've made through the research that we were doing, which in our case is based on language and how language is also used sort of as, as an oppressive tool 
um, by virtue of how it's used and how it is coded and how in some cases it evolves and in some cases it devolves because in the case of indigenous languages where a foreign body is the one who coded the language, it, this stagnates the growth of the language and what are the implications of that, how can we counter that and how can we fix that. And we've also collaborated within the classes ourselves to to harness each other's skills. And so if, say, the Johannesburg Working Group is also dealing with critical literacy and we facilitate um, workshops, then they might invite us to come facilitate a workshop, but that is tailored to their locale, not necessarily us imposing what we've learned based on our own locales. One of the tools that just, I'll just finish the image that I was trying to bring before, it's when we talk about clusters, that means that it's groups of groups, right? So the working groups are, um, in some cases, individuals and in some collectives, they are linked to different kinds of institutions. In the meeting in Madrid, we tried to decide what were the common interests, and then we organized uh, four working groups, four clusters, sorry, <laughs> groups of groups. Um, and from there, each of the clusters have planned their own working dynamic and also um, have shared a, a common funding, but also fundraise for their specific projects differently, right? So this has created different <coughs> rhythms of work also in between the different clusters, mm -hmm. different um, frequencies of the meetings and interactions, different uh, Sorry, yeah, commitments and expectations um, from the projects that were submitted for funding and then um, also different possibilities. One of the common um, tools that we have found for sharing each other's research um, is, the, is a kind of notion of a timeline that we've called an on-chronological timeline. And we're looking now at the Johannesburg groups timeline, it, the idea is to, um, as Dineo was saying, to keep a constant relationship between having a critical reading of the local context and history, and at the same time, a reparative reading, or a possibility of plotting alternatives. <coughs> to, um, like Ranguato Lasane says, digging up archives or elements of popular culture and history that might not be understood nor narrated officially under the notion of art mm -hmm. that yet constitutes a cultural imaginary that is more linked to, um, let's say, a non-canonical view of art and cultural practice. And so for this reason, the timeline has become um, a kind of trial and error or an experimental device to try to bring together not a, a linear narrative of history, but a space where different histories can intertwine, and thus where why the cluster is called intertwined histories, um, and that can make, you can show some of the images now, that can bring together references that from a very, um, let's say, strict uh, historical academic register might not be dialoguing together, but from that exercise we were able to put 
records, musical references, student movements, political leaders, mm. um, local leaders, but also our own birth dates in mm. relation to these histories, mm. certain books we've read, mm. and this has iterated in um, several spaces. This is Wits University in Johannesburg. Um, it was created, uh, one of the, of the groups um, is composed by different artists who are also teachers at this university in Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. This was um, made part of an exercise at the time, two years ago, when the Fismos Fall movement started also. And, and it was a way of recalling previous social movements and political leaders and like song, um, how do you call that, lyrics. <laughs> Uh, into an imaginary that was also intersecting with a local need, let's say, or a specific moment and situation. Yeah, and, and, yeah, so you'll see as the images go by different uh, timelines. We didn't decide to try out timelines, but it turned out to be a way of organizing without following um, a rigorous it's, it is rigorous, but it's not rigorous in the sense of a, of a linear chronology, right? And a historical document. Um, and it's, it has allowed us, along with workshopping and life encounters and meetings, the possibilities to uh, link um, very specific local experiences or histories that you wouldn't necessarily link otherwise. A little bit like we were discussing in the boat tour before, how colonial history and Dutch history wasn't narrated together. Mm -hmm. It also happens that we've, in many cases, I speak from a Mexican experience within a Latin American um, situation. In many cases, the history we learn, or universal history, as well as art history, is the Western narrated history, we don't learn the local history, we don't learn necessarily Latin American art history, yet when we sit down together to talk about the role, as uh, Dina was talking, of missionary culture and education, we are able to find very deep and resonating connections between, for example, um, different consequences of modernity and the notion of progress in our very specific context. So the division between the rural, which in um, Latin American context also has to do with other forms of epistemologies and knowledge, in relation to the urban as a civilized model of life and economy and knowledge. And that uh, creates from um, bringing up very specific references from apparently remote places, uh, a very strong connection. So all of a sudden, the agrarian reform in Cairo fits very closely to Johannesburg as well as to Quito and to Mexico City, for example. And we're not arriving there after 10 years of scholarly research, but we are arriving there from a very um, strong need to understand and to create different forms of dialogue and narratives to the situations we're living today, right? And to try to trace back a genealogy of where that comes from. Um, going back a little bit to the unchronological timeline, the idea was also to, to think about what do history books leave out? 
And if you were writing your own history book, what would you include in that? So making yourselves a part of history. Um, if we had it here, you would also be invited to make contributions because that's how it <coughs> operates. It's an ongoing thing that is never ending. It's like six meters of plastic and we try to take it. It's a traveling suitcase, it's called. And so it travels from place to place wherever meetings happen. Um, the other thing about another roadmap is how the network itself tries to give visibility to places that are otherwise sort of absorbed into into the grand narrative. Like, for example, how on the boat we were talking about Dutch uh, presence in different other places, and <coughs> there was mention of East Africa and South Africa. The difference there is East Africa, you know, is a cluster of countries, but South Africa has connotations to one country, and yet it's also a region. And in that way, the places that surround that, that space kind of get swallowed <coughs> up into the single narrative of South Africa, the country. Um, and from that, we developed a game called Unchronological Timeline Cards, where we sort of <coughs> share stories from each of the... We have 10 countries within the African... Within the Intertwining Histories cluster. And each of those countries gave stories based on the research that they have done. Five stories from each. And these are supposed to also translate into activities because they have questions at the end that are interactive where it's not necessarily a teaching process, but like a discourse, a model for discourse. And this emerged from a game that was started by the Russia Working Group um, and was then was adopted through inspiration from the, uh, the Johannesburg timeline thing and has proven effective in the times that it has been experimented with as, as sort of like a learning tool um, because in some cases you don't even know the stories related to the places that are represented within the, the cluster. There's a few images, but they're a bit further down from the own chronological timeline cards. The main challenge was how to find, so we've been working on two sides, which is a constant like um, interest and tension, and it has to do with, on the one hand, creating uh, more ways and forms of sharing each other's um, situated researches and practices. Um, so these are the cards. Can we stop with that? Okay. <laughs> and um, and on the other hand, we are now at a stage where we're trying to try out, like I talked about the learning units before. Then the ontological timeline cards is a different device. There's a multi-vocal glossary that's also being published um, these months on the website. And we're trying to figure out how to share, how to best share. Um, the learnings that we've had in our very different researchers and locations uh, without losing specificity, but also trying to open up uh, the kind of materials we're working with. So the timeline cards are a way of breaking down 
that timeline and having um, different concentrated bits of problems, questions, and discussions that have come out of our researches and to share them out in a way that it's also unstructured and that might, might raise interest or desire within a group of users of the timeline cards to um, get further information, references, or dig down our archives in relation to, that they link to the learning units, right? Mm -hmm. So they're organized by different topics and questions, and then they, uh, if you want to learn more about them, then you can um, refer to further materials. You can now um, pass it on. And we've tried them out in different settings. It's also something that it's not, it's never a closed device or a fully um, perfect, let's say, instrument. It's more of a trigger. And it's something where every time that it's used, it's trying to ask for connections, potential connections, additions, um, editing made by the different users. You can have them. Running. These are, uh, okay, that's a different timeline, but <laughs> those are the learning units. Um, and these are images from a series of workshops that we did last summer in Zurich where we're trying to uh, share with other colleagues and then with users or participants of a timeline card session. Um, the questions and the proposals that we have, and then adding responses to them. As you can tell, there are notes put there. This is why we um, gave you those cards, because our, we view learning as an ongoing process, so there might be feedback that we have which could benefit what we are also doing behind the scenes in another roadmap and help us in coming up with other activities moving forward or things to add to the learning units as they are. And, yeah. and so as a way of closing without fully closing, <laughs> one of the... Um, challenges we find that are part of the, let's say, active tensions within the network have to do, as Gina was pointing out, with language, for example. We have uh, ended up using mainly English as a way of speaking to each other. Um, we have invested some of the resources in translating mostly to English and sometimes to Spanish, most of the materials that we produce. However, that was kind of like a first intention to have a, a kind of common ground in terms of sharing our knowledge. However, it's also um, a decision that in some cases prioritizes the exchange among the network and doesn't necessarily mean that, for example, the group in Quito can translate to Quichua, which is the, the indigenous urban community that the Quito group is working with, the materials that are produced, say, in Cairo, that mostly needs to translate to Arabic, right? So this is a, um, a working tension, I would say, that on the one hand um, is part of what in the network 
specific relationships creates, from my experience, the deepest transformative dimension, which is to be able to listen to, to work together with, to try out in different settings and in different moments um, references and tools that come from very different uh, contexts, while at the same time trying to create that common space. And this is something that we're like going back and forth constantly, and, and we see it as part of the inherent contradictions of uh, uh, networking structure, as well as one that um, tries to contest constantly the relationship between, I'm not going to say global, but let's say like a transnational <coughs> interconnection, as well as a situated practice that, in the best scenario, should also um, spill or resonate within local networks and not only in between the members, right? So that is one of the challenges that I think we work constantly around. Um, and the other very specific one has to do with creating a, a possibility within the network to experiment with tools and practices that come from educational different backgrounds and that it's in many cases um, process-based and it has a strong component of experiential knowledge mm -hmm. and that it's also harder to transfer and harder to transmit um, and also trying to create a space that doesn't necessarily reproduce the kind of academic writing or academic knowledge that is usually used to circulate this kind of researches, right? And then a constant, um, and then it's also a, a preoccupation, I would say, to register the uh, yeah educational practice that is um, within the art world, cultural institutions, but also in academic context, um, constantly, let's say, put under other hierarchies. <laughs> um, <laughs> the end. Uh, in, in Africa, uh, in Asia, Latin America, and 
the Middle East as well as the Netherlands. Um, so uh, we are focused on our practices and processes of social change predominantly uh, that work with com communities uh, beyond uh, the field of art. So we're currently in our third phase, uh, if you will, <laughs> the, the phase of self-governance. As a working unit, the, the, the network strives for uh, horizontality, what we've come to learn as wavy horizontality amongst its members, which I'll also get into a little bit later. Uh, so what, how we have structured is a little bit of a chronology, if you will, in that I will try to give a kind of overview of uh, arts collaborative its working mechanism. Uh, Aline will go into assembly and Anna will talk about Banga and Kalkide projects. So, uh, so I mentioned that we are in a kind of third phase or third life uh, that's um, kind of determined by this uh, mode of self-governance. And just in terms of a structure and annual assembly for collective uh, decision-making and knowledge exchange, uh, is hosted uh, rotation by uh, by uh, the members, and it's a key moment for uh, for gathering. And otherwise, the, the network or the ecosystem uh, regenerates itself through through projects and small scale meetings called fangas. Um, and with fangas, uh, this also alludes a little bit to our common language. There are meetings essentially that call for gathering. Uh, friendship or reciprocal support, uh, collective study, and uh, any other subject or issue that uh, an organization might be experiencing. And then the idea is that that encounter is then tools for further sharing. Um, so AC is uh, conceived and then reconceived again uh, as a place for uh, self-care and working in common across territories to form communities of solidarity, that are based on mutualism, empathy, and also vulnerability. Um, so there's an aim of a learning capital and productivity-driven working methods. And this is perhaps um, what binds us, and it's central to the way that the network has been conceived and conceived over, over time. Um, uh, the, uh, the principles of uh, arts, collabor arts collaboratory uh, are given uh, form in collaborative artistic projects, as I've mentioned, and these range from uh, residencies, exchanges, and uh, 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 curatorial inquiries to uh, more grassroots action and, and co-publications across the ecosystem. And I believe I'm going to talk more about that. Um, and what I wanted to try and do is punctuate kind of so this is a representation of uh, the network that's going on in 2015, where the block you can see are the struggles in each terrain, uh, which are the floating parts that are representative of the organization that also deal with. So I can have the next one. <laughs> um, so Arts Collaboratory, or maybe we can go back, sorry. So Arts Collaboratory itself is, is established in, in 2007 by two Dutch, founders, uh, Dutch funders, rather, 
uh, Cuban and Tibos. Uh, and it was established as a platform for knowledge sharing, sharing amongst arts initiatives. Uh, and then at the time there was a, an aim to support a growing number of artistic organizations in respective regions that perhaps had uh, inflexible uh, art scenes or had a um, uh, to provide a kind of alternative uh, funding. Um, and this phase also uh, promoted South-South uh, collaboration. So most of our partners are from the predominantly from global uh, South. I'll get to uh, uh, Casco and uh, Doom in the moment. Uh, in, in 2013, um, uh, AC is redesigned uh, with a revised mission, if you will, to promote sustainable and collaborative uh, projects. Um, and to contribute to social innovation and, um, with an emphasis on uh, translocal communities uh, amongst the participants. And then around this time, Casco uh, was invited as a partner to help uh, facilitate this knowledge sharing process. Um, and initially invited as a facilitating partner and then in 2015, together with Doom, joins the network. Um, and this 2015 uh, moment, the pinnacle one, is the, uh, the assembly that happened in, Se in Senegal, where the AC members agreed to further their collaboration on uh, and uh, develop a common vision. So maybe the next slide. So this, for some of you who peeked in, may recognize our neighbor's room. So this is in a key. Uh, moments, if you will, in terms of the self-governance uh, uh, trajectory, where the future plan uh, was conceived. So a smaller group from the AC network uh, met to, uh, to draft this, uh, together uh, with outside guests, including uh, Stephanie O'Hanna, who you see in the corner. So uh, a common vision amongst this network that's uh, artificially put together, uh, one can say, um, was articulated. And the future, uh, the plan, the future plan was used uh, as a tool to negotiate self-governance and uh, for mutual accountability. Uh, that's to say that it was a, a plan or trajectory for AC and one that foregrounded transparency and struggles. Uh, uh, transparency around struggles and failures instead of kind of dressed up uh, reports to satisfy uh, trajectories of uh, process selection and evaluation. So maybe more simply uh, put, the future plan was used as a negotiation tool with the funding bodies, and instead of, uh, or rather, uh, allowing the network to to start to operate. Uh, by itself and be accountable to itself rather than uh, funding bodies. So troubling this funder-fundee relation that's also like a, a spillover or has roots in colonial heritage is what we're addressing. Uh, can I see the next one? So this is it's also like a recap for us. <laughs> 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 
So I, I wanted to show this image and maybe the next one. You know, the rest of this one as a the future plan. Uh, like, um, also came uh, with a common lexicon, if you will, a common language instead of ethical principles uh, that, uh, that, that binds, that bound and can continue to bind the, the, the network. Um, yeah, maybe I thought to because the way it's funny the way that we've explained it on the website is that every time we are in in, in doubt we return to the ethical principles. So in preparation it was it was uh, interesting to recall these. So maybe I'll just mention a few of them, like the, the notion of uh, openness. Uh, so openness is our ethic to share knowledge publicly and invite others into the ecosystem, which is also I think in kind of one of our struggles for DC. So uh, decentralization is another uh, ethical principle. Uh, shared management and shared governance, I've uh, touched upon. Uh, we call learning and unlearning study. So the moment of also of buying, buying time <laughs> in order to study or to, to be able to, um, to foreground study instead of reporting uh, has been key. And one of, uh, maybe another interesting one to highlight is the notion of self-limitation uh, within uh, the network. Um, also, I think, in terms of uh, Casco, that's been one, and an interesting one to back with, but Casco and Dune being organizations that are situated in the global north, as we do with this dynamic of Can I see the next one? So, um, this, and then the next one. So what I wanted to maybe uh, uh, also address is the organizational uh, structures, how we organize ourselves. So the, the previous slide points to like we're trying to embody this, this organogram. <coughs> so AC is divided into um, kind of terrain of uh, assembly, banga, and Circa 2015, uh, the idea of uh, uh, pairing up, or not pairing up, but tripling up into triangle systems that would uh, write lifelines, kind of each organization would write a lifeline <coughs> to share and collectively study with two others uh, was a core uh, process, if you will, a core idea. And then there, the more um, administrative ends, if you will. So the fund fundraising, which we, we trickle turn into fundraising, the administration, which we're now in the phase of it being called Yella, uh, and uh, website website newsletter to do the communication. Things, right? So uh, uh, in the tooling uh, or experimental tooling project being. Uh, central as well for in terms of disseminating our, our knowledge. So the network itself split into working groups uh, that address these, these terrains. Uh, and then I wanted to maybe end uh, here before Aline and Anna take over in that uh, I guess one of the troubling uh, or 
for me, at least, difficult things to, when trying to explain arts collaboratories, it seems like a seamless uh, process, mm -hmm. which it absolutely isn't. <coughs> a little bit about this, like how to explain a networks uh, collaboration. So, pointing to moment earlier this year, uh, the Berlin Banga, which is otherwise known as also Crisis Banga, in which we were questioning a lot this organizational structure that wasn't uh, super well oiled. And I think the key uh, thing that came out of that, at least for me, is that uh, as highlighted in the purple, purple, like our ethical principles, as important as they are, are not to be confused with our common purpose. So we separating um, principles from, uh, from, from purpose. So we might go about uh, things differently, but so long as we're bound by a purpose, then uh, operation and also collaborating becomes a little bit Can you give an example? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> may I suggest that Aline and Anna go? Oh, wait, maybe let's go to the number slide that shows. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. No, so not. Um, I mean, this is just. Well, this is supposed to be a GIF or um, that shows the different organizations mapped out, and it was supposed to keep moving and show the different relationships, bangas or connections, uh, the collaborative projects that are going on around the world. Um, I'm, oh, there you go. So these are, uh, you can see the different lines of relations between them. And there's clearly, over the years, other than the organizational part, there's been many projects uh, that have been brought together between our network. You can see many <laughs> over the last, uh, what, five years almost. Um, yeah, next slide. Um, I'm going to talk about all right, we can be here. Uh, there's one slide before that, though, if it shows or no. Okay, it's not showing. So it's all right, we can start with this one. Uh, I'm going to talk about the assembly structure as a place that we all meet. It's a gathering that happens once a year. Um, going back to the very first assembly, it was in Indonesia in uh, 2014. I wasn't there, but uh, those first two years reflect on how Yolandi uh, was saying it was so organized, where Costco and Bloom were um, helping with facilitation, the organization of the assembly. It's 10 days where all the 25 uh, members come and meet in one of, those, or one of the member organizations, we host them. Uh, in 2015 and 2016, uh, 2016 and 2017, we moved more towards more self-organized network. Uh, and that was a decision that was made in Senegal. Uh, and over there, we were experimenting with what it means to be self-organized. And the assembly itself, amongst us, we were hosting, we were trying to facilitate, and there were clearly some struggles and tensions around playing out. Uh, and just to keep in mind that we're all coming, we're all cultural managers or we're running organizations, so we don't have the same uh, background maybe as the uh, independent, you know, freelance uh, mm -hmm. art educators who know how to 
facilitate or run certain workshops. So here we, I felt personally, at least in those assemblies, it was a bit. We had a certain struggle. Uh, and then this year, uh, in actually 2016, we went to Kyrgyzstan. Although before that, we had decided on having a assembly in Beirut. But due to uh, territorial problems and visas and travels uh, limitations amongst the members uh, that can't make it to Lebanon, as myself, because I'm from Palestine, and the an Israeli passport. So then uh, the network decided that we can't have an assembly without all the members present, so we held it in Kyrgyzstan. Um, the following year in Costa Rica, we're like, where's the next assembly? And it seemed like we kept avoiding the Middle East because of these problems. Uh, but we decided that we'll try to make it happen in one way or another. So the Middle East partners came together and thought of a different format, rather than all of us meeting in one place, in one host country, that we tried to experience collectively traveling together across the region, uh, trying to work around these mobility uh, constraints. So we split the group, or the whole network, where half went to Lebanon and half went to Palestine. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so that way we had six days or so where uh, we worked in smaller groups, so that meant like around 20 or so people in each location. And we traveled together to Jordan where we all converged for three days to make decisions together. Uh, and in here there's just a few slides just to show that having moved that big step to go to a region where we're less comfortable, uh, it's a bit more intimidating, we're being faced with checkpoints, having to cross checkpoints where not all the members were able to go through depending on their paperwork. Uh, this was a very uh, meaningful or like having to experience it together. Here we're, wait, wait, you can stop right here. Uh, <laughs> here we even had to go and apply for visas to go to Jordan and uh, you know, just having to see how different people coming from different places in the world uh, have to face these uh, um, authorities or power structures uh, when traveling. Um, so this was a very uh, interesting assembly and uh, we experienced it collectively and despite all odds, <laughs> we did actually be able to make everyone come and that included people from Mali, from Colombia, Mexico, Indonesia, uh, to Jordan even. Um, and uh, in Jordan actually there's not an AC and Arts Collaboratory member. So we sort of also self-organized and found, uh, we expanded our ecosystem and went there to meet with local partners that could host us. Uh, so this was uh, a different way of hosting an assembly and organizing it. Um, one of the key things that happened also in this assembly is that we, um, we took a step backwards in self-organization where we invited <coughs> uh, two facilitators from the art of hosting who had already been part of AC in separate smaller groups, but they helped us in designing the program. So collectively there was a working group called the Sunday Working Group, uh, alongside the facilitators where we met in preparation for it. So together we designed it. Uh, as a host, uh, we would suggest a certain program and certain partners that we'd want to meet with, and then together we'd start negotiating or talking more about why is it necessary to meet this partner? What sort of value can they uh, add to the network? Um, or how can we involve them also in the discussions rather than just going and talking about an organization to be more open? And that is one of our, our principles, uh, openness. Um, if we move forward a little bit. Um, I mean, this is just part of our co-designing. Even though we did a, 
um, program beforehand, the schedule. Uh, throughout the assembly, we keep revising the agenda and rewriting it depending on the needs that come out so that we can make the most out of those 10 days that we're together to reach our, uh, you know, talk about various issues and uh, decisions that we need to make. Um, just next slide. One of the uh, important things that we realized in the assembly is a, a village square where we all meet and talk and discuss and share. Uh, so one of the, on our first days in Palestine, we um, the group also did the same in Lebanon, but I'm talking from uh, assembly that I experienced. Uh, we shared our stories, so storytelling is a big part of our um, practice in uh, telling our struggles, our challenges, as well as presenting ideas for collaborations with the other members. Uh, next slide. So here we can just see us um, uh, together discussing. <laughs> uh, some people were talking also about their lifelines, which Imandi uh, spoke about. Lifeline is um, what, what each organization presents as its plan for the coming year or two or three. Uh, lifelines, we didn't want it to put, like it's a different format of presenting ourselves not as a strategic plan, but uh, a way of us um, being adapting to our context, because most of us come from uh, more unstable regions, so writing a five-year plan does not make sense, because literally some of us change our programs uh, and our plans within two, three months, so it's always changing. And the lifeline was um, was one of these uh, ideas that we proposed of how to present our organizations. And this happened also during the assembly. Uh, during the assembly, we also tried to meet with, uh, well, this year we emphasized a little bit more, where we can split working sessions and discussions, as well as meeting the local ecosystem. Uh, so we did site visits, um, and it was in Palestine specifically, because of the regional issues and so on, it was more prominent in uh, Lebanon, but uh, we, we emphasize a lot the walking as practice, that being there in body and physically, uh, seeing these uh, the places that we're going to, passing checkpoints and so on as well, uh, it's not a matter of cultural tourism, but we're actually experiencing it collectively, talking about it, and also learning more about the local uh, organization that's hosting. Um, I mean, here there's also met with both local networks. Um, you can go to the next one. Uh, of course, eating is a big part of our uh, practice. <laughs> 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 I'm walking. Uh, let's continue a bit more. Uh, here we met with a partner in the West Bank, Khalil uh, Sakakini Center. And another um, way of how we try to or practice openness is that to invite. Um, the local ecosystem and partners to be part of our conversation so that we're not just hosting a session irrespective of them, just using the space, but they were uh, part of the discussion. So um, we, when we designed the program, we made sure that those sessions that we were at a, a host or, no, or a partner, that they'll be part of it and that the questions are in relation to that place. Um, next one. Uh, and then here we have the facilitators, but also that we, we didn't want them to stop. Uh, uh, but it wasn't just that they facilitated and helped guide us, but we were also building capacities. Some of us don't know how to facilitate or self-hosting, so throughout the process they were also teaching us different tools that we can use within our organizations and within our own practices. Um, 
uh, of how to facilitate and also learn, like build these capacities. And hopefully, in coming assemblies, we can we don't have to put so much resources in, in inviting an external facilitator, but for us to also start self hosting and facilitating. Uh, so these were just some of the models, like World Cafe is a way of um, uh, what it? focusing on what matches, but distributing the conversations and telling uh, where we split ourselves into different groups, and uh, you can switch around, like if you're interested in a certain project, you can join it, if you're less interested in this one, you can just start moving around different tables, and these are some of the mechanisms and ways that we start developing collaborative projects together mm -hmm. during the assembly. Um, let's just see what else is in this assembly. Uh, another way was triads and uh, how to listen. So this was also one of the exercises as an example of capacity building. Um, open space. Uh, we might... No, I'm not doing this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so here these are like ways of how uh, collaborative projects sort of emerged in practice. Uh, and then after the assemblies, they turn into bangas, which I think uh, Anna can speak more about, uh, where different organizations meet and, and uh, develop these uh, projects. <laughs> Wait, let's just see what else is there. Uh, finally, of course, we have, uh, we continue, <coughs> we dance also, <laughs> not just <laughs> working. Uh, yeah, this is the final one. Let's get to the last one. Uh, of course, the assembly, I mean, this year we went to Jordan, and that was when the, in the three days we were there, we met with the Lebanon group. We shared our stories and experiences, uh, but also it's a time when we take decisions um, collectively, uh, and it's more based on a general consensus, um, but it's in a very open uh, environment. We've tried different ways of taking decisions, uh, but here it was definitely helped by the facilitator who was able to uh, guide us in this process. Um, yeah. This was the decision I don't know what else is left. One more. Uh, this is the group. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I think I, I can. Yeah. Everything seems that is very well structured, mm -hmm. but actually it was not like the way that they born as another roadmap, like being part of a specific or having a specific questions about this roadmap of of UNESCO. We, we, we became a network because we received the same funding, no? So we applied twice for a funding offered by the Netherlands institutions. And then in 2014, I think 12 or 13, there was this idea to how to collaborate, you know, each other. And then in 2014, it was more clear some mechanisms to know each other. And that's how institutional residency starts to appear in the in the in the idea to build a network and also collaborative projects based on desires and questions that we had as as organizations but also to know each other because we know that in the webpage we we do amazing things and are very important into the local context that we are but 
actually, actually, we don't know. At that moment, we didn't know anything about each other. So we start with three collaborative projects. Um, one was a school laboratory project. This is one of the meetings where it was hosted by Juan Grupa, an, an art institution in Indonesia, during the Biennale in Sao Paulo. And they, all the, the people sitting down here, it was interesting to develop a project based on the interest on education also and pedagogical things into the network or into the organizations. So it was like a first moment to think what is going to be the project and how being there in the Biennale in a way also that was kind of related to the topic. Uh, we could learn and yeah, we just went out to the museum to do these meetings. Um, and yes, that's the, this is an important moment in which we can really talk about the things that we can do because sometimes that the email and uh, Skype didn't work in, in a way to really go deep into what we want to do. So these also mechanisms were supported by the funds in the Netherlands to start to promote these exchanges. And then after long-term uh, yeah, period of discussion, some projects could shape into a formal project. Others disappeared, like the film project, there was a film intentions to do exchanges through a film festival, itinerante, but it couldn't be real again, so there are also no successful stories <laughs> about <laughs> collaborating, and, but also during that time we made a lot of, uh, a lot of, well, Kind of, no? uh, institutional residences to know each other based on uh, needs that I want to improve from other uh, contexts or organizations. So some were related to the programs, other were related to management, other were related to struggles in local context. So they were about curatorial things or uh, yeah, context or um, yeah, uh, those kind of things. So, during the 2015 until 16, 17, we work in these collaborative projects and we start to practice in the idea to be in network and from being small uh, projects. And this is one of the most bigger projects. We also made one that is Minga, uh, that explores the notion of utopia based on each uh, context that was part of the project. and. It was kind of <laughs> previews, uh, yeah, like a, a preview of what the network could face as a challenge, you know, because that was a project that from the 25 organizations that are into our collaboratory uh, joined 19, and I was kind of manage, manager of that project, and it was the conflict that the people is not totally uh, deciding to be into the project, but in a way, this is the platform to collaborate, so many people joined, but then they were not a um, facilitation or a way to communicate the advances of the project. And also, like, facing uh, practical things like decentralizing the money or managing the money in the South with a uh, risky economy and fluctuation rates, sending money from Colombia, which has a lot of uh, eyes in laundry because of the drug trafficking situation we, we live. 
I will send you money to Palestine, <laughs> to Mali, to Mexico, to many places, and also losing money because I received the, we received the money from the Netherlands and then rates. So, so like practical things of having decentralized money to do projects in collaboration in a translocal network. Also, we face in Inga uh, different things, also like learnings and unlearnings. That means money also that we don't have and we don't want to lose in the banks. <laughs> but it's the way that we can relate as well uh, in relation of money. So there also were, were, was kind of moment to touch how can we also share uh, a com economy or something like that. Yeah, the... Well, it's very deep. <laughs> uh, she is saying that explain a little bit what means Minga, uh, one of the, this collaborative project, which is uh, being together to collaborate uh, for a common cause. <laughs> uh, this is a award from indigenous communities in the Andes region. I think it's very common in Latin America uh, communities. And like, the idea of being networked and come and share resources and share thoughts and desires also kind and fit in the idea of Minga. So and the notion of thinking as a network like Utopia was kind of place to, to think of what the future uh, of network working together in the local context uh, were into the both ideas of Minga exploring Utopia project. Um, then I maybe if I, someone has more questions about that, I can say. Then there was another one that is territories. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <coughs> territories is uh, also a collaborative project uh, with six organizations that for me being part of, I started as collaboratory project but I not continuing that because I was, we are a very small organization and I was very enthusiastic to be part of everything and then I realized that I didn't have enough capacity to be part of everything. So as being part of Minga's manager in a way, I, I couldn't resign that. So I stayed in territories and in Minga and territories was kind of a very nice project which we learn or unlearn, I don't know how to use those terms, uh, uh, a lot, because that starts from a conversation of how organizations can affect the local context uh, in relation of advocacy and lobby. And lobby was the first name for that collaborative project, that how we can create solidarity, support each other, relating to our struggles, but we don't know each other. So was like, how can I raise a, a flag for the Palestinian situation if I really don't know anything about that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not my case, but like, as an example, <laughs> as an example uh, of how what different... No, actually, I didn't know Kyrgyzstan before to be in the network. So it's like how I really can be solidar with Kyrgyzstan. It, for me, it's a totally different country. And yeah, even in Colombia, the history class is out of the school. Mm -hmm. So we don't have many references only mm -hmm. Facebook in relation of story and history and uh, 
international scene, like critical, no? So uh, at that moment, we start to think, because in Latin America, lobby, I'm not sure here, but lobby is totally related to corruption, no? Like these people that can influence politicians, uh, passing money, interest. So we were, the Latin American people involved in that study group, were not um, embracing that notion. And as we don't know each other, we prefer to call territories to start to study the local context of each of us. At that moment, joined um, Mali, Centro Soleil de Afrique, Dual Art in Cameroon, uh, 705 from Kyrgyzstan, Banza uh, in South Africa, Crater um, Invertido in Mexico, and Masarte Mas Acción in Colombia, which is the organization I am. Um, so at the moment it was super intense. We were very intense in doing Skype meetings. Uh, that was the only tool we had to talk to each other. We wrote a lot <laughs> the document, we write uh, the proposal we're going to send for the project to, to support the project. And also um, we were very inspired from Crater uh, Invertido a publishing movement they have in their own maybe some of you could know, don't know them but they have in their organization a risograph machine so they produce their own books and they produce a lot and based on seminars that they do inside of their organization so we wanted to apply kind of methodology of study deeply and then to produce a book by ourselves, because all of our organizations produce books, <laughs> but then we send to print to someone else, and then someone else design, and even the context sometimes is like kind of outsourcing or based on the project of the artist, but it was a, a very collective process of editing together, uh, thinking, for example, translations, because all the projects were, were developed in, in the local context, but also when we have all this knowledge producing during one year and a half. It's like, oh, what are we gonna do with this? And we wanted to do one book, and we finished doing five books, like five posters, videos, audio program, radio programs also. So that was necessary also how to deal with all that content a meeting in 2016, I'm sure. Or 15 to uh, organize that knowledge, and it's very funny that Ranguato knows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, uh, it's part of your network because Banza invites you <coughs> to help us also to rethink all that knowledge and in different boxes, canvas, or how to read that. And um, it was super interesting how we decide what kind of content should be in Spanish what other has to be in French. Always everything was in English, which is the bridge tool we have. Also question <laughs> if what is that bridge, but help us. And also like reading all the all the projects, some people say like this is very Latin America issue that I don't know how to deal with this information in Kyrgyzstan and I need some more tools to read this text and was like a deeply conversation and deciding how the, the books will be. And this is, for example, an activation of the books after we finished. We also, during the methodology, decide how to not to have the, we said that the book is not, is the, is not the tool, 
itself. It's when we activate and we create kind of path to use it, it becomes a tool. And also thinking how to share more resources and the local context are kind of resource also, but how to share more deeply. And this is in Lugaradudas in Cali, which is in Colombia as well. We, we Masarte Masaccion, work a lot with them, and they open the space always to us, <laughs> because we don't have in our organization a public program, but they always uh, host us and go deep with us also in different ways. Um, and this is a process that we do kind of re replication of what we do during the process of editing that was reading the text, uh, performing the text, uh, yeah, like broking the books, uh, analyzing a lot of the content, and we did that with, with the locals uh, in Cali that was very interesting because that was kind of a call from a local artist that said, we need to do something with these publications, just move it, and we start to do a session of four hours of reading that was very intense. Uh, but yes, we, we do a lot of books and then we don't read it again. <laughs> so that's nice that we are together here reading this book. <laughs> and that happened there. We are just two days out there. It was four, four hours. Um, but it was different kind of readings also, like we are practicing here. Um, I'm going to stop because yeah. we need to activate the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> And see, <laughs> 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 maybe the fishbowl and then questions. And <laughs> can I say something quickly? Mm -hmm. That it is a um, constant challenge mm -hmm. to understand what the network is mm -hmm. from within already and also to communicate it. And so the cards. Um, had for us an intention that is we are here also tomorrow and the idea is that we can have a sense or a register of what kind of questions things stay with you, confusions interests, desires and they might not like we won't be able to read them all now but it is a way of keeping a kind of um, yeah, a register of these constant or permanent working progresses in terms of the two network, how, yeah, what kind of, what we're able to communicate and what we're not. <laughs> um, and we, we also try to keep them visible throughout the day tomorrow so that there's probably questions that can come back into our sessions tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. Sure. It's being passed around. So it's going to be for a time. Yeah. So um, there's a poll that's being passed around. If you have questions, if you can drop it in, and then in the meantime, we can do it. I have Jeff questions. I have one. <laughs> <laughs> No, something that I, that I, in terms of learning and unlearning, like one of the things that thinking retrospectively has become, again, like a trial and error, has to do with the way that we've, I don't want to say format, but the way that we've organized each of the, in our case, we call them international meetings, you were talking about assemblies. Mm -hmm. 
and the many, many different layers that there are in terms of hosting, in terms of creating an agenda that responds to previous needs, but that also allows for things that, while you're gathering, become necessary to be discussed. Um, the kind of moments we allow for listening to each other and getting to know each other better in relation to working together and creating a kind of collective dynamic. So that's always kind of something that we're balancing. And then also the relation to local initiatives, agents, artists, in comparison or in tension with giving enough time to work together in depth, and that sometimes requires concentration, which also brings the question around the huge privilege that it means to be able to gather in those conditions, and the question around how does that feed back into our different practices and contexts, right? How much of that are we able to register or to report to other interlocutors? Um, and so I'm personally interested in that, but I, I feel that in terms of the learning and unlearning that happens there, the crafting of those meetings is, is a big part of the, of the work. Mm -hmm. And that there's also not a, there's not one way of making it correct or efficient or, and what might work in a certain setting doesn't necessarily work in another one. And, um, the, the session that Dineo mentioned that started uh, as the people who think together dance together, which was RAS initiative as well, but then it's been passed on to... In, in the last session, we, it also became the people who think together swim together because we were by the Zurich Lake. And then eat together. The, yeah, eat together, cook together, stretch together, together, drink together yeah. for those who drink, sing together, walk right. together. And it does sound, it, I think it does bring up like a kind of tricky, happy together kind of image. But at the same time, we found out how crucial that is in terms of self-care and acknowledging what kind of interactions can become productive as a way of responding also to the privilege of being together and working together. Mm -hmm. Is that a question or a comment? <laughs> because I was listening to it and I thought that that was a very important aspect. Sorry, it's not a question. But it's good that you, I mean, I, I like the question how you said, you know, there is a privilege and we do actually, every year we evaluate the assembly and say, oh, wow, we put so much resources and so on. And I, think, I thought this year at least, when we harvested, like we actually put some resources to have someone that can document the property and so on, that we can bring back something back home. And in this meeting, this is also a banga, like us being here, like some people yeah, the member. But I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, we were discussing, of, like this is something that we are still lacking, about our openness and how much we can be involved in our local ecosystems. Like mm -hmm. the former assemblies, people, many people were exposed to AC, but maybe again, this host and meetings and so on. But how much does AC actually affect, or what sort of impact have we left on there, onto them? So this is still a struggle for us. Like even after the Palestine Assembly, like we're discussing, oh, maybe we should go back and meet with them, 
share this report or this harvest, uh, share our outcomes, the decisions that came out, and uh, maybe open up the collaborative projects to them. Uh, so this is something that we're still experimenting, and we've been a little bit too safe in our comfort zone, like staying within ourselves maybe, that we need to be more open. Um, but this is just, like, this is still an experimentation. Yeah, but I think, for example, the ethical principles, I, I don't know if it's a very collective person or, or yeah, it's weird, because when I read the first future plan writing by our friends, based on our thoughts in, in Senegal, they wrote here in the in the room, I think, <laughs> the first future plan for the structure we have now. I was very excited because in my personal experience, being part of activist groups or even parties in Colombia eh, or the student movement, never some, I never experienced something like arts collaboratory that has like creativity, politics, but also a, like viewing in, into ourselves mm -hmm. organizations, for example, Masarte Masakian is a organization funded by two artists, a very personal project, and we step by step have been into our organization affected by the spirit of horizontality, self organization, like very baby steps, but going to to question the, the same the, 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 the current organization we have and for me this is like a long process mm. and maybe yeah we are privileged to be into this network but also we have taken that privilege in a way and also for example this is a, a picture of a radio banga banga is an encounter for self-care deep studying something specific we need for yeah for mutual support and this one was based in a network in which now there is more organizations in Arts Collaboratory and there is maybe 30 people that are not part of the <coughs> Arts Collaboratory network and we could affect uh, that space with the spirit of Arts Collaboratory in a way that we also made. We didn't talk about that but we, we have something that is called the common pot and that's why we talk sometimes also about the self-limitation because it's the money there and we have just minimal rules to use it, but we don't need to be approved for someone to use that money. So, and that has led us to be self-organized, and this is a meeting that we try to use the same rules, like bring as much as resources we can, so many people stay in the house of others, the museum understand also the spirit of, the, of that meeting, and say we have two rooms as well, you need some other equipments, uh, other people are. We have a vegetarian uh, friends that cook very cheap and they are interested to participate as well, so they give us some support as well. So I think it, this is kind of assembly of radio <laughs> in Latin America. <laughs> very similar to a self-organized assembly in our school laboratory because I'm very enthusiastic of how we do things that also are not always happy but also is the narrative of the network, no? Some years are very difficult, and then we decide to have a facilitator, but maybe next year we say, ah, we are prepared to, oh, again, self-facilitate our assembly, and maybe to have four bangers and not uh, an assembly, you know? I think I'm very inspired for last this year in Palestine, 
when we went to Sakagini and he said like as soon as we create an institution we have to destroy it. <laughs> not to not uh, um, contain the knowledge but also to start rethinking what we are doing mm -hmm. and I really uh, now we are in a moment that we have now a legal entity as a collaboratory and we are going to try that this year and maybe two years or I don't know what's going to happen with that but I'm excited to try it collectively as organizations because also that really affects internal or at least in organizations that happen. Mm. Uh, but I mean, no, I'm happy yet, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very briefly, in like a sentence, um, <laughs> how do you, like we have a common sort of approach of knowledge accumulation production and dissemination. But how do you ensure that you keep yourself from being paralyzed by analysis? Because sometimes we like get lost in problematizing everything mm. to the point where we cannot enjoy life. Like you're, You condition yourself to look through a specific lens. Mm. So how do you try to avoid that in your work? To call the Indonesians. <laughs> One sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a diverse network. So, for some people, these are very big things. But someone appears with a joke, with a, with examples in Palestine that say like, we don't have a, a clear future, but we can still together, and there is a happiness that is put us out of that. I think. Being together, like 60, 80 people, someone appears with yeah. something. <laughs> so I think we are not like 60 people in a moment block. Maybe there are some that... <clears throat> and that but, was the moment in the assembly. I mean in the work. In the work yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, I come to the think of the, uh, the Berlin Banga moment, which is also addressing uh, crisis. Crisis. analyses of fuel and I think that was being blocked by uh, tripping on our own feet mm. and, like, uh, blocked by only seeing the holes in the uh, organizational uh, right. structure of fuel and um, one of the things though it's, I, I wasn't present but one of the things I uh, take from how it was recounted is affirming what's already there it's not that there are any here roadmaps Affirming what's already there. Uh, can, mm -hmm. Do you want to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, because I, I, I relate to that because of maybe elephant for our school is uh, something that had happened in very positive way, but to the struggle. Uh, like, um, so many of actually organizations transform really to a great degree, mm -hmm. which involve uh, change both in uh, management, maintenance, and program. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, many of organizations actually uh, decrease the number of exhibitions, number of events even, mm -hmm. and moving toward more like study, long-term research, 
organizing with communities. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of also management, there was a really uh, big change in uh, power structure. Mm -hmm. There was even the case was kind of put at that within an organization to uh, remove a directorship. Uh, and to create a collective. collective. Co -directors. Co -directors. Ah, yeah, co-directors. <laughs> More directors. <laughs> I just want to add that. I want to give some reward for the questions. <laughs> and maybe it's, I start with this one because it's really very broad thing with two, like how, when do members leave the network and how, for example. And I, you know, I thought to ask it to another room now, like to, to give a scenario where. Um, we've had two instances, I want to say, of people leaving the network, um, but not really leaving the network. In one case, it was people were very busy and they couldn't participate in the activities of the collective, but they are still there in principle. Um, in another case, it was personality. Mm. So it wasn't like voluntary leaving, but courteously asked someone if they could excuse themselves. Because, not because of them per se, but because of the kind of environment that their presence was creating within the collective, in that this person, or the presence of this person bothered various people in various ways so it yeah it had to come down to parting ways mm -hmm. yeah i would also say that there is a like the question about limitless growth mm -hmm. and like hyper productivity mm -hmm. also relates to kind of like long-term processes where the rhythms and the engagement of people change and it, that has to do with personal uh, life situations, these meaning parenting, uh, losing a job, having different um, economic and labor conditions and thus affecting the amount of time, energy that you're able to... Um, dedicate to the network, which is huge. I think it's really great that there's a session tomorrow about the different like economic in terms of um, the resources that make this work possible because one <coughs> big part of it is funding, but there's other forms of exchange, right? So I think people coming in and out would be, to me, more clear to talk about people being more or less active in different periods and then just communicating that and saying um, um, taking a it's not a leave but like I'm just I won't be as active in this project because time I out. just can't yeah it's kind of like a time out um, but it's something that's happened it wasn't previously um, planned yeah you actually address the second one, which is uh, in relation to how we perceive growth. I think it's an organization. How about one more, and then we move to close? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm.